The text for this morning's service is from Psalm 51, verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 51, the stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Have you ever wondered whether or not you have sinned against the Holy Spirit so much that as a result you are now uncertain about your salvation? Do you think that you are too sinful a person to be saved? Oh, sure, you go to church and you try to do your best, but you know deep down in your heart that there is something seriously wrong with you. You feel like a fraud. You can see that God would save others, but not you. Other people have a stronger faith and are more godly. They are more deserving. But you can't imagine that God would accept you in your present state. You're not sure about your salvation. It nags at you. You may have the same questions about one or more of your loved ones as well. About a child who has no longer, who has gone astray and who no longer comes to church, or about a close relative or friend. Because they don't go to church anymore, your concern about them go even deeper than that. Has such a person sinned the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit? And what about those who have been excommunicated? Can they ever be saved again? Have they sinned the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit? In the text of this morning, we see the struggle of David. It is a well-known psalm. It is about David's confession of sin, the confession of his horrible sin over against Bathsheba. Even though David makes his beautiful confession to the Lord, David struggles as well. He is afraid that God is going to take his Holy Spirit away from him. And so he pleads with God for him not to do that. David does not find himself in the same situation as us today. Today we live after Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Could an Old Testament believer sin against the Holy Spirit in the same way as the New Testament believer? Did they have the fullness of the Holy Spirit then? Does the Holy Spirit work differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament? And so there are many questions to be answered. One thing we can state right off the bat, we all need God's Holy Spirit. Without God's Holy Spirit, we are doomed. That is true for the Old Testament believer as well as for the New Testament believer. As a matter of fact, without God's Holy Spirit, this whole world would be doomed. That is why God warns us. That's also what I will preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about God's warning concerning the removal of his Holy Spirit. And then we will see that God's Holy Spirit is in the first place a gracious gift, in the second place a precious gift, and in the third place an eternal gift. Let me state that once again. 
I'll preach to you about God's warning concerning the removal of his Holy Spirit. And then we will see, first of all, that God's Holy Spirit is a gracious gift. David was keenly aware that he had received the gift of God's Holy Spirit. He had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king over Israel. The Lord sent Samuel into Jesse's home, the home of David's father, to anoint Jesse's, one of Jesse's sons as king. David was still a young man at that time. First, David's older brothers were paraded in front of Samuel. They seemed the more obvious choice to Jesse. Samuel, too, was impressed. He especially thought that the oldest son, Eliab, would be the most obvious choice, for he was impressive in stature and appearance. But then the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Finally, the youngest son, David, is presented before him. And then we read in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And so at that time, the Spirit of the Lord was upon David. After this, we read time and again that God's Spirit continued to be with him. And that David also felt God's Holy Spirit and his presence. God blessed David in everything that he did. King Saul at one point had also been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we read in 1 Samuel 16 verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And that an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. David was keenly aware of the removal of God's Holy Spirit from King Saul. And that puts David's request concerning the removal of God's Holy Spirit, as we have it in Psalm 51, within a more specific context. David did not want to end up like Saul. He continued, he wanted to continue to receive God's Holy Spirit and to continue to experience his presence. It is clear that David fully understood that the Holy Spirit is not someone who is within your own control, but that he is the gracious gift of God. Else he would not petition God not to take his spirit from him. The Holy Spirit belongs to God, and only he can give it to you, and therefore only he can also take it away. David knew that the gift of the Holy Spirit was a gracious gift of God. In other words, when you receive God's Spirit, you do not receive it because you deserve it or because you have anything to offer him, but only because of God's free grace. But what does it mean that God gives you his Holy Spirit? For David, it meant especially that he had received God's Holy Spirit when he was anointed as king. The Holy Spirit equipped him for his task. 
And the Holy Spirit guided him as he ruled God's people. And he guided him as David prophesied. For David could speak God's word as recorded in the Psalms and elsewhere. And it is clear that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was especially operative in the prophets. Oh, sure, God's Spirit was at that time more restricted to certain office bearers, such as David and such as Moses and also the 70 elders. But don't think that the Holy Spirit was not evident also amongst the people of God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 63, verse 11. And there we read that God's people ask, Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among us? The Old Testament believer understood that God had given his Holy Spirit to all of them. However, just like the doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ was more clearly revealed in the New Testament, so it is with the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, we read about the seed of the woman who would crush Satan. At that time, the Old Testament believers did not know yet who the seed of the woman would be. But as God's Old Testament people come near to the great events of the birth of the Son of God, they slowly but surely get a clearer picture as to who he is. And later on, God introduces the sacrifices which point to the blood of the Lamb. And Isaiah prophesied of the coming Messiah, that he, what he could do and how he would accomplish it. We are even told where he would be born namely in the town of Bethlehem. And in the book of Daniel, he is identified as the son of man. In Isaiah 40 especially, you see the kind of person that he will be, for there he is introduced as the suffering servant. And so, as time goes on, as the Old Testament progresses, there is a clear picture as to, the, as to who the Messiah is and what he will do. Well, the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. He is also more fully revealed as the history of Revelation unfolds. At first, it is not as clear as later who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. In the very beginning of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is already introduced. And there we read in Genesis 1, verse 2, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Who is that Spirit? Well, Right away, a clear picture begins unfolding. He belongs to God. He is God even. For God says further on in that same chapter, Let us make man after our image. He uses the plural. Not only was the Son included as the agent of creation, so was the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they belong together. But... Right away, we see already the work of the Holy Spirit in creation. When it says in Genesis that the Spirit was hovering over creation, we are reminded of a bird who provides for and protects his young. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, we are given a clear picture as to what that means. And there, God is pictured as a bird who guided his nation, Israel, as it says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wing to catch them and carries them on its pinions. 
And that is also how God the Holy Spirit looks after God's creation, especially his children. He has done that from the very beginning. The fact that God's Holy Spirit hovers over all creation means that God's Holy Spirit is always there. You cannot escape God's Holy Spirit. And David also beautifully expresses that in Psalm 139, where he asks the rhetorical question in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God's Holy Spirit is everywhere. He has always existed. He was always involved in his creation. And so God's Holy Spirit does not just guide individuals, but all of creation, every nation and every people. Moses and Aaron understood this when they said in number 16 and referred to God, to the God of the spirits of all mankind. Without God's Holy Spirit, this world cannot exist. But the Holy Spirit is especially revealed after the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. At Pentecost, the Lord Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and pours him out upon all flesh. But don't think that Pentecost is only a New Testament phenomenon. No, the Holy Spirit has been active throughout all of creation. But the work of the Spirit becomes richer all the time and then comes most fully to the fore on the day of Pentecost. Whereas God, whereas before God to work, turn his face towards Israel, now he makes his presence known to all the nations. And therefore we may not sin against him or ignore him. For God's Holy Spirit is precious. You cannot do without him. We come to the second point. When David asked not to have the Holy Spirit taken away from him, does that mean then that that is possible? Does that mean then that God can remove his Holy Spirit? Well, as we saw, God's Spirit is everywhere present. You cannot escape God's Spirit. But it is possible to sin against the Holy Spirit and to ignore Him, to pretend that He is not there. And then in that sense you also lose Him. The majority of mankind does not acknowledge the Holy Spirit. They do not realize that the Holy Spirit of God sustains the universe. They do not think that they need Him. They think that they are in control of creation. The modern-day environmentalists are typical of that way of thinking. They are concerned about this earth and the impact that mankind has on it. They believe that this earth is very fragile and that they therefore must control the earth's destiny. They believe that if they do not actively involve themselves in the management of the resources of the earth, that then it is going to perish. It is true that we have to be careful with God's creation. We must be good stewards. We may not pollute the earth. But it is not true that we can control the destiny of the earth. And it is not true that the earth is fragile either. 
For God, the Holy Spirit, is always in control. And he is the one who creates and recreates. He is the one who looks after it and keeps everything in perfect balance. The earth is not as fragile as we think. At the end of this age, the Holy Spirit will be the one who will totally renew this world. The majority of the world does not recognize the Spirit of God. And they do so at their own peril. If they do not want the Spirit of God, then God will not give him to them either. As we saw, without God's Spirit you cannot live. And David recognized that. He recognized that God's Holy Spirit is a gift from God that you cannot do without. He not only realized that he is weak in heart and spirit, but also that he is totally corrupt and incapable of doing anything without God. When he sinned his horrible sin against God with Bathsheba, he did so only because he ignored the Spirit of God. He did not reckon with God's Spirit who gives life to everything and to everyone. He took things into his own hands. He wanted to be in control of his own destiny. He wanted to seek pleasure according to the desires of his flesh and not in accordance with the desires of God, the Holy Spirit. He pretended at that time that God did not exist. He did the same thing as the world does. He went his own way. But then through Nathan the prophet, he came to repentance. Nathan reminded him that God is in control, that without God's Holy Spirit, he will perish. And that is why David cries out to God to create in him a new heart. He wanted to give the reins back to God. He wanted God to be in control of his destiny again. And in Psalm 51, David recognized that he is the God of creation and of recreation. Through his spirit, he breathed life into him. It is all God's doing. David has no strength and no ability of his own. He is totally dependent on God, not only for his physical life, but also for his spiritual life, and most importantly, for his eternal life. But do you really think that David had to be afraid that God would leave him? That he would take his Holy Spirit totally away from him. David was God's anointed. He was a child of God. Ultimately, David did not have to worry about the fact that he had sinned the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. For once you have the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, then it is impossible for you to lose it. It is yours for eternity. We come to the third point. It says in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, For you have been born again, and here it comes, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And we read in 1 John 3 verse 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. When you have the seed of God within you, then you cannot perish. 
Why then is David afraid that God will take his Holy Spirit from him? And that is because of the horrible sin that is weighing down on him. Because of his sin, he did not feel God's presence any longer. But God had not abandoned him. It is impossible for a child of God to entirely suppress the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that's true for you and for me as well. There may be those amongst us who think that they have sinned too much, that they are not worthy of God's presence, that they are not worthy of salvation. But God never, ever takes His Holy Spirit away from His children. Oh, sure, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God all the time and in many ways. We do it every day and we fall short of God's glory, far short. We are miserable creatures. But listen to what it says in Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom, and again here it comes, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption. And that is a fact that no one, not even the devil, can take away from you. You do not have to doubt your salvation. You do not have to think that you have sinned the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know there is now still a great big question in your mind. What about those passages that we read together in Hebrews and Matthew? And what about King Saul? Did God not take his Holy Spirit away from him? For it says in 1 Samuel 16 verse 14 that the Spirit of God had departed from Saul. What then is the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, when we speak about the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit, then we have to be careful how we speak. And then we have to be careful how we distinguish. For we must distinguish between election and covenant. First, let's look at that passage in Hebrews 6. There we read that those who have once been enlightened, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God, that if they fall away, that they cannot be brought back to repentance. But now you have to understand that passage within the context that that is written. The book of Hebrews is all about the new covenant established by the great high priest, Jesus Christ. It is covenantal language. Here the author is not speaking about your election. As we saw, God's elect cannot and will not perish. God tells you that for your comfort. But here the author is speaking about God's covenant ways. For you see, not all who belong to God's covenant will be saved. Not all the children that receive the sign and the seal of the covenant and who are brought up in the church will be saved. And that is what the author to the Hebrews is speaking about here. He is warning them. He is speaking about the nation Israel 
who was at one time included as God's covenant children. But many of the Israelites rejected God's covenant. They knew what it was all about, but it never touched their hearts. They never allowed God's Holy Spirit to be in their hearts to begin with. They always resisted the Spirit of God. And if you continue to do that throughout your life, then in the end, there is no chance of salvation for you. Then there is no longer a, a possibility of repentance. That takes a long time, but not all who are called God's children will be God's children into eternity. There are those who fall away, and we see that more often in the Bible. Think about Judas, for example. He was one of the twelve disciples. He had received the sign and the seal of the covenant when he was circumcised. He had seen all the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with the Lord Jesus throughout his whole ministry. He heard his words. He saw the wonderful things that he did. And yet what did he do? He totally rejected the Lord Jesus. He completely hardened himself against the Spirit of God. And so God also confirmed him in his unbelief. For he never had the Spirit of God to begin with. And so he perishes as a child of the devil. And what about King Saul? Indeed, it says that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. But it does not say there that the Spirit of God was taken away from him forever. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. God would no longer sustain him as king either. He would no longer equip him with his Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say anywhere in the Scriptures that Saul was condemned to hell. It is very well possible that he was. But it is also possible that he wasn't. We don't know if he was a one of God's elect. God knows. And so where does that leave you? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, that leaves us with God's warning. God tells you these things in his word because of his great love. He wants to remind you of the great gift of his Holy Spirit and that we must not reject him. You must not harden yourself in your sin. If David had continued to live in his sin and to leave his sin unconfessed, and if he had hardened himself in his sins, then David too would have perished. But through God's grace it did not happen. God did not remove his spirit from him, for he was one of God's elect. And there may be times in your life as well when you are brought very low. And there may be times in your life where there are certain sins that you just will not break with. And at that point you don't feel God's presence anymore. But that doesn't mean that God's Holy Spirit isn't there. Oh yes, He is. And as a child of God, He will restore you. And that is the same comfort you may have about your loved ones, about those who have gone astray. It may well be that God has not left them, even though they no longer worship with you. And that is why you have to pray about them and think about 
ways of bringing them back into the sheepfold, to bring them back into God's graces, to bring them back into fellowship with God and His people. You do not give up on them. You warn them and you, and you remind them of the need of the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, we do not know who has totally rejected God's Spirit. God knows. But we have to come with the gospel to our children, to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, to those who have strayed. And we must remember that God is the just judge. He continues to call you to repentance. But he also warns you, as he does the Hebrews, that you cannot continue to reject him and reject him and reject him, and that he will then continue to sustain you. No, in the end, you will lose the Holy Spirit. You will not be saved. There comes a point of no return. But what about the other passage in Matthew 12? What does the Lord Jesus mean when he says in Matthew 12, verse 31, that the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven? Well, in order to understand that, once again, you have to look at the context. The Lord Jesus performed many miracles amongst the Israelites. We read in verse 15 that he healed all their sick, and in verse 22 that he healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And these are great miracles. The people stand in awe of him. They were astonished. And they asked whether or not this indeed can be the son of David prophesied about in the Old Testament. And it is understandable that they make that statement for the work that he was doing was absolutely powerful, was absolutely messianic. Only God could perform such miracles. These were not the works of an ordinary man. And the people knew it. And now the Pharisees realize this is a pivotal moment. They did not want the Lord Jesus to have the influence that he has. They felt the crowds slipping away from them. They had to do something or say something to discredit him. They could not have the people believe that God was among them. And so what did they say? They say something absolutely outrageous and blasphemous. Because they do not want to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And they had to discredit him in the only way that they now knew how. They equated him with the devil himself. Can you imagine? They say to the people, it is only by Beelzebub the prince of the demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And that is the last defense that he could come up with. For if it is not God who is doing this, then it must be the devil doing this. That is their argument. And that, brothers and sisters, was their blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Against all logic and reason, they wanted the people to believe that Jesus was not sent by God, but that he is the devil himself. And then the Lord Jesus masterfully unmasks 
and their hypocrisy and great unbelief. He says, how is it possible that Satan drives out Satan? If that is the case, then he is divided against himself. Satan cannot be out to destroy Satan. That doesn't make sense. Satan is not out to defeat or to destroy himself. And further he points out that only the Spirit of God can drive out demons. No one else can. Only the Holy Spirit has that kind of power. And therefore the only logical conclusion you can come to is that the Lord Jesus himself is full of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Pharisees, they were out to destroy the work of God. They wanted to block the message of salvation. And they did so deliberately. They did so with hardened hearts. They did so with a great hatred against the Son of God. And in this way, they sinned, the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. They did not sin against Him because of ignorance, but because of deliberate disobedience. They totally hardened their hearts. And now you can understand why the Lord Jesus says in verse 22, that anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. For... The Lord Jesus realizes that people, in searching who the Son of God is, what his work is, and how he saves his people, where he comes from, etc., that these people need to be instructed. People are slow in their understanding. Here they have in front of them a man from Nazareth whose father was a mere carpenter. They have to come to grips with the fact that he is indeed the Son of God. And in their search for the truth and in their ignorance they may say or do things against the Son of God which are wrong. Think about the Apostle Paul, for example. There you have an extreme example. Out of his ignorance and wrong zeal, he sinned against the Son of God. He persecuted the church. But the Lord Jesus forgave him. At that time, Saul did not know what he was doing. And therefore, such a sin can be forgiven, says the Lord Jesus. But as I said, in this case, the Pharisees knew exactly what they were doing. It wasn't out of ignorance that they said these things. It was out of an unbridled hatred that they said them. And therefore, in the final analysis, they also sinned against the Son of God. For when it comes right down to it, when you sin the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit, and if you persist in that sin, then you also reject the Son of God, for the Spirit and the Son are one. Are you still worried about your salvation? Don't be. You're a sinner. Yes, so am I. But as long as you continue to seek God, He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. Even when at times you are brought very low, God will not abandon you. As long as you do not harden your sin against Him, God will continue to carry you and to bless you. That's what He did to David. That's what He will do with you. Seek God and you will find him. 
And it is not so either that your fellowship with God depends on your efforts. And that's a good thing, for we are incapable. And David realized that as well. That is why he asks God, that is why he asks God to create in him a new heart and to give him his Holy Spirit. As it says in John 40, John 6 verse 44, no one can come to the Lord Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him. Ultimately, it's all God's work. And to him be the glory. Amen.